Welcome to Kaiseki Anime, where we air new episodes every other week. Kaiseki covers currently airing anime, older series seen recently, and other relevant topics for the season. I'm your host, Marina, of the blog Anime BNB, and with me is my co-host, Draggle, of the cleverly titled Draggle's Anime Blog. This week, for our 100th episode, we discuss a few classic films. Grave of the Fireflies, Perfect Blue, and Voices of a Distant Star. Some of our viewers might remember that for our 50th episode, we had a, a special episode in which Marina watched the classic anime Twin Tales. What is it actually called? I forgot. I don't remember, but it's definitely not a classic. But go ahead. And since uh, she enjoyed that masterpiece so much, we decided for the 100th episode, she would recommend some anime that I hadn't seen. So she gave me the watching list of Despair. (laughs) Is that true? Despair? We landed on these films because I was struggling to find a series that kind of matched the length of Twin Tales, because that was just a single core series, right? And we have a lot of overlap. So most of the things that I have seen and I enjoy, Drago has seen and may or may not have enjoyed. (laughs) But then I found out that there are quite a few notable films that he hasn't seen, hence why we're starting here. And I guess they have a common theme of despair, even though that was not my intention. Sure, sure, sure. It it wasn't, I promise you. (laughs) So why don't we start with the most despairing of them all? Yes, this was the one I watched first because I had to get it over with. I've put this movie off for like 10 years because I knew (laughs) it would destroy me. And it destroyed me. I think it's good that you started with this, because I I don't think it would have been a good place to end. No, no. I, I ended on a more cheerful note. <laughs> That's good. With some hope in the future, right? Exactly. So it's been a while since I've seen this film. Like you noted, this is a pretty sad film. And I only saw it once, and I've been traumatized since. I can't make myself watch this second time. Yeah, it wasn't like I expected though. Like I, I expected it would be a war movie, where it's mm-hmm. it's all about war and suffering from war, but it it really wasn't. Most of the suffering happened after the war had ended, even. Yeah, it's more more a movie about uh, poverty and hunger. I think that's a big revelation for a lot of people who watch this for the first time. Oh, really? So this is uh, a common reaction. Yeah, I think when people see the trailer, when they see, like, the artwork for it, they say, oh, okay, this happened during World War II, and a little bit after World War II, and you would think of stories around that time typically showing a lot more of what's happening in the war, right? The events of it. And rather than doing that, being a film about war, this is more about the people who happen to live during that war, Right. And the experiences that they go through and less about the actual events of what's happening um, around them. Right. Um, But this particular film is 
a Studio Ghibli film, which is another reason why this feels so unique, I guess, because I can't think of many other Ghibli films that come even close to this kind of material and darkness, right? Yeah, most of the Miyazaki ones, or at least, are a bit more cheerful. Yeah, although there is that one about the Zero Fighter plane, right? The wind also rises. Yeah, but that, it was dark, but it... And it's controversial in its own way, right? About, like, the pilot who made it. But this is different. A different beast. And this was actually, surprisingly, built along with My Neighbor Totoro, if you can believe it, back in 1988. Really? I hadn't realized yeah. that. So, I mean, two totally different kinds of films, right? Yeah, My Neighbor Totoro seems a lot more cheerful. Even if you uh, you count the cheerful fan theory where everyone already died. The cheerful what? Uh, you know, there, there's like that weird uh, interpretation of My Neighbor Totoro. No, I don't know. What? Oh, where the, the Totoro is like the bus to the afterlife and the children are like dead the entire movie. What the hell? What the <laughs> hell is this? No, don't you dare shatter my view of that film. Okay, now we're going to back right off of that right now and go back to Grave of the Fireflies because I don't think I can handle that. Okay, okay. Yeah, Grave of the Fireflies, some cheerful uh, child hunger and death. I mean, I guess there is a little bit of joy, right? Yeah, my favorite part of the movie was uh, when the boy was really happy, when uh, the bombers uh, started dropping bombs, and he would go rob rich people's houses of rice. You know, I don't really recall that scene, but I believe you. That was the scene, yeah. He was, like, running through the... The streets as the bombs fell and the town was on fire with like the biggest smile and he's like thank you american bombers <laughs> did he actually say that uh something along those lines yeah holy crap i i must have flipped that out it, it was it sure was a movie yeah and what's interesting too is like this story is really focusing on the two kids right on the boy and his little sister and the original creator of this, Akiyuki Nosaka, apparently has like other works that also feature children in war. So this is kind of his specialty, as weird as that is. Hmm. And I, I don't know. Like you said, this is a story that like focuses heavily on these kids and their experiences and not so much the war itself. But I think there is a pretty common interpretation that a lot of the faults of this film fall with the, well, it falls on a lot of shoulders, right? But surprisingly, some of the blame, I think, is thrown onto the boy and the way that he handles his sister. Really? Well, yeah. He's what a little boy. That's stupid. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's just blaming the victims. Or am I not understanding? I don't know. That's why I'm, that's why I'm like throwing it out to see if you like, can understand that point of view. If people watch the movie about children starving... And they're like, oh, the children, they're so foolish. If only they had been smarter. So you fully place the blame where, I guess? On, like, all the world's adults. And I'm not disagreeing with you, I'm just asking. I mean, there's, there's so many people who could have prevented this, this, these children from starving to death. There's mm -hmm. their aunt, who was a horrible, horrible person. There's the aunt's uh, daughter and husband who are, like, less actively horrible, but just ignore it. There's the guy who sold them food, who ran the farm. 
there's even the police officer who is like nominally one of the better guys in the film, but still didn't give them stop them from dying. There's the doctor who the malnourished children came to see him, and he's like, "You need to eat food." And then the boy's like, "How?" And the doctor's like, "Get out of here." And then there's there's the emperor. There's the whole Japanese government. Yeah. I can see where you're coming from, and I agree for most of it, right? Like, this is a failure on multiple fronts of that nation. The, the adults running it, the adults in it, and the, the adults, like, surrounding these kids. Yeah. Uh, but Seta, let's not forget, he is a teenager. He, he is older, and he took his sister with him away from his aunt, as terrible as she is. He could have gone back, as terrible as they are. Yeah, but the aunt could have gone and looked for them. We have no idea if she went looking for them and, like, in a time like that, couldn't find them. The uncle saw him on the street and pretended he didn't know him. That's a pretty asshole move. But, like, at any point, did you see Seta consider bringing her back and trying to, like, stifle his pride, even though, like, yes, his aunt's horrible, that family's terrible, but it's better than dying. I don't know if if it would have stopped her from dying. Well, I do remember at the time when I watched it, right? And I wasn't really reading other people's views on this. I hadn't read other reviews or other takes. But I do recall thinking that the boy was leading his sister to death. I, I'm a lot older than he he was, right? When I first watched this, I was like early college, I think. Mm-hmm. So I'm old enough to, I guess, understand that you need to take care of her better. And perhaps you would think that he is not old enough, even though I, I feel like at a teenager, you should already know what is what is more important. And I remember thinking pretty poorly of him. Hmm. I mean, I guess I thought he was dumb, but I, I, I don't know. It seems like just blaming, blaming the victims. Well, my take on it was, is that there is a lot of the blame to go around and that even the characters themselves, particularly the older brother, isn't blameless. No, I mean, I guess he's not blameless, but he's he's not the first person I'd blame. <laughs> yeah, but I still think that he could have done something to help his sister more than what he did. Maybe, but he was also starving, so I don't know. That aunt, she was the worst. It's hard for me to like remember how terrible she was. I, I do recall... That she was terrible, but I can't remember the details. She didn't want to, like, feed them. Like, she would feed her family rice, and they would get some, like, some garbage. Like the drugs of whatever is available. Yeah. But again, I think that's, like, a commentary, too, on, as dark as it may seem, human nature. (laughs) The fact that many people, perhaps most people, arguably, would focus on their own survival than, like, perceived others. Right, like she fed herself and her immediate family and placed them lower, right, on the priority list. Exactly. That's why I I blame the boy less. I don't think he placed his sister lower on the priority list than himself. Mm. I don't think he placed her lower than himself. I think he placed her lower than his pride and anger at the aunt. Maybe. I don't know. I don't think she would have even taken them back in. Well, we don't know because he didn't try. Actually, wait, she totally knew where he was. Because remember, he, he tried to sell her the kimono he stole. And she said it was worthless and she wouldn't give him anything. 
for something that he stole. Uh, I don't really remember that scene either, Draggle, sorry. But, um, like, I think that's right. I wouldn't give money for something that was obviously stolen and wasn't his. Like, you could just ask for their, their help and their assistance without trying to sell something that's stolen to them. I don't think he, she, she would have given it. She was an evil, evil person. I think it's fair to feel that way. But I also think it's also fair to think that he should have tried everything. I mean, I think he he did try everything. He even tried, like, robbery and stuff. He's not on my list of people to blame. If anyone's, like, totally victim, totally blameless, I would say it's probably the little girl, right? Like, she's too young to fend for herself, to make decisions, to survive on her own. She's totally at the uh, mercy of those around her. But I do think, like, they're showing the boy as an example. And... Maybe it's, like, bad to say this as someone who hasn't seen the film in so long, but, like, a part of me kind of remembers him at the very start of the film, the young boy, being kind of, like, pro-war. Because, like, his father's in the military, right? And I feel like he was actually happy about the war at the beginning until things went south, until, like, they got bombed and his mom died. And that's, like, why he wears that symbolic hat through, like, the entirety of the film. Yep, yep, that's true. So then you already have this, like, young boy who's, like, pro-war, yeah, but he was he was pro-war because everyone was pro-war. He didn't even know what the war was. Like, he shows that this is not just the adults. Like, this is what they're doing to their kids. And he himself, like, supports it despite everything that's happened. Right. So I see him as, like, a direct product of what the adults have been doing around him. Yeah, that, that's definitely the case. By the end of the war, he, he didn't even realize it had ended, like, weeks ago. That's, like, so sad. I remember that. Like, being like, wow, he he doesn't even know because they're already in this suffering that extends beyond that. Yeah. It was an unforgettable movie. I still can't think of that movie without thinking of the candy, though. And, like, whenever I go to Asian grocery stores, I see that goddamn candy box, which they still sell in that style, by the way. <laughs> like, you can go get one. And they taste pretty good. They're like these hard fruit candies. Yeah, I'll, I'll pass on. <laughs> I mean, I bought one that had like a mooming theme to it, but then there are ones that like have the same goddamn design as the one from the film. <laughs> it's just like sucking on it, and it just tastes like ashy sweetness, death sweetness. <laughs> it's it's really sad. Yeah, I'll, I'll stick to my uh, luxurious pocky or whatever. But are you happy you watched this film? I'm glad I watched it. I had wanted to for quite a long time. I don't think I'll watch it again, but I don't I don't think I'll forget it either. Everyone should watch it once. Once is the key word. It's not on my top movies to rewatch. Well, how about in the second film, Perfect Blue, if you're ready to move on? Yeah, it was less despairing than I expected. It, this one was more scary, more scary than sad. I think it's often described as a psychological thriller, psychological horror. Yeah, that sounds about right. Because, like, she basically has a mental breakdown <laughs> through this film. I mean, and who can blame her after, like, <laughs> the things that are happening around her and the people that are manipulating her, right? Yeah, it reminded me of the uh, Serial Experiments lane, in that it's, like, very 90s futuristic internet takes. <laughs> well, it's definitely... Like, locked in that era, right? Like, it was in that special time of early internet where, like, you didn't have the social media we have today. 
right? Like Twitter, uh, TikTok, whatever. You didn't have like the official celebrity sites, you know, the ones that they curate, they censor themselves, right? So that's why you have this shit like this, this Mina's room, this fan, creepy fan website. I don't think you can tell this kind of story now without it being vastly different. Yeah, they, she would have a Twitter now and she wouldn't have a blue check mark. Or maybe she would, I don't know. <laughs> She'd have a check mark and then she could just like debunk like those false versions of herself, right? Yeah, exactly. But this is um another Satoshi Kon film and I think you like his other works, right? I don't know. I, I guess I like them, but it's not really my favorite. I liked uh Tokyo Godfathers a lot. I think that's a lot of people's favorites. It's probably like the most wholesome, I guess. Yeah. Happiest. A lot of the time, they're they're too scary for me. I'm a bit of a wuss when it comes to scary things. Well, I don't know if I'd consider Millennium Actress scary, but uh, yeah, I would say Paprika was kind of freaky to me. Yeah, so was a paranoia agent. And you put this right up there with the freakiness. For sure, yeah. This this was pretty freaky, especially when she's like confused about. Was she? Did she do this in the movie, or did she do, do this in her real life? The the rape scene at the beginning was really really creepy. Wait, was that at the beginning? Because again, I didn't get to watch this film recently, except for that one time way back when, and I couldn't remember when they actually showed that scene. Yeah, that was like quarter, third of the way through, I think. Holy shit! Yeah, <laughs> like I would have thought, like re looking at it, that it would have been at the end. You know, um, like near the end of her involvement with that manager, but having it that early in the film is, ugh. yeah, that that was pretty early. <laughs> yeah, that that was that was freaky, and then the the ending trust was really freaky too. Wait, which one? Um, like who the who the murderer. who the villain actually was? Yeah, yeah, I did not see that coming. I no. remember feeling extremely shocked when I found out. I did not see that coming too. And then when the villain is like flying around in the the costume, that's creepy. But like looking back on it, it makes sense, right? When they like explain her motivations, yeah, and like you you see her history, like obviously, oh okay, I can I can sell. But I think they did a really good build up with that. They did, yeah. It was very uh, kept a shock value. I mean, because you're like completely convinced that it's this other dude, right? Until you find out that he was sort of being led on. Yeah, although I was at the start like, oh, if it's just this guy, I'm going to be annoyed because he, he like looks so evil. He's so obvious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he looks like the, the stereotypical creepy villain. Yeah, but I think they did a good job with that part, subverting your expectations and then just like watching Mima gradually lose her mind <laughs> and you're kind of losing your mind with her too because it doesn't make sense for most of the film. Yep, yep. <laughs> it was a, a freaky movie. It, it it felt like uh, I don't know returning to a different time period, which I guess it was a different time period. Now this was made in 1997. I was still pretty young, right? Like I wasn't dealing with the internet back then, so this period I didn't get to experience myself as a you know as a teenager or an adult. I I think I had the internet then. In 1997? I think we were still like, what, grade school, weren't we? Yeah, I, I had the internet. You had to, you had like a modem and it would make oh, crazy. The, the phone noises. 
I only access it through school, right? So I didn't have any experience with like these sketchy sites, these fan sites, and yeah. Well, I I was I was young enough that I I had no interest in sketchy fan sites. I mean, not that I have any interest now, but <laughs> I mean, the computer for me back then was more for the Oregon Trail than anything else. Exactly, it was for yeah. games. <laughs> yeah. This one, though, like, wow, it must have been another another thing to have seen the rise of this. Yeah, and they they also had, I was thinking about uh, the, the portable video cameras. You don't see those anymore. No, not not like then, right? Like, they're, they're so fucking bulky. <laughs> yeah, and the main character, she didn't even know what the internet was. She had to get someone to explain it to her. <laughs> yeah. Well, she was like, what's he talking about? Mina's room? What? Exactly. But it's interesting seeing how much this work has uh, influenced. I think people said that, um, and I, I, I noticed the similarity myself uh, when the trailer first came out. Did you ever see Black Swan? No, I haven't. It was an American film a lot, uh, some years ago with Natalie Portman as like the prima ballerina character. Hmm. And it just like kind of shows this dual personality, you know, kind of like perfect blue, how she like sees another version of herself, that like idol version of herself. I'm in the mirror. And I think some of that inspiration came from Perfect Blue. At least a lot of people make comparisons between the two works. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen it, but it, it was a, it was pretty well done. The dual yeah. personalities thing, especially since, since later it has the other layer of like there actually was another person. Yes, yes, that's what made it even freakier. Right? Is that it was real? Some of it. Yeah, I thought it was it was just all in her head at first, and then then later it's like, huh, maybe if I watch this again, I would see this differently. I think this is worth another rewatch while I go with the fireflies. I couldn't make myself do it. Yeah, th- this one's scary, but once you know it has a happy ending, it's less scary. I guess it has a happy ending. It does, because you see her later on as as a successful actress. You know, she's moved up after her string of sort of sketchy billings, right? <laughs> yeah, and she also didn't seem to be insane from the short time we saw of her. <laughs> no, I mean, she's visiting the insane asylum to see her former manager, right? <laughs> yeah. You know how I always make fun of it when they have an anime, the, the guy says, like, you're you. Yeah, I saw your tweet. <laughs> yeah, this one they she said I'm I'm me, and it it actually made sense. And, and it fits. Yes. yes. So I'm I'm glad you made me watch this. Should we go to the last movie? Voices of a Distant Star. This is a 2002 super short film. It's like 25 minutes, right? Which is like shocking to me because when I think back on when I watched this back in college again, mm-hmm. and because I guess the writing. You know, um, Makoto Shinkai's writing has a very distinctive style to it. It felt like it was longer than 25 minutes. Uh, but what do you think? I, I feel like it shows, like, how much in a typical anime series, uh, so much of it is just wasted time. <laughs> but the, the it was 25 minutes, but it, it was, like, very well used 25 minutes. Yeah. It, it knew knew what it was going for and didn't, didn't waste time on fluff. I feel like that's uh, true of most of his like early films. If you've, I think you have seen some of his other ones. I think we have the same favorite one. I've seen. I think I've seen pretty much all of his films. I, not, well, now that I've seen this one, not the newer ones. I haven't seen some of his uh, most recent works. I think. 
I saw Weathering with You. The last one I saw was um, Your Name, I think. Did you make one after Weathering with You? I think so, but I don't recall which which one it was. But, um, okay, I have to look yeah. it up. I want to rewatch some of his older ones, though. I always Same. watch his movies. I think my favorite... The Place Promised in Our Early Days? Pro- Place Promised in Our Early Days. That's my favorite, like, I too. I loved that film. Such a good movie. The one I didn't like as much, and maybe I was just too young to appreciate it. So I agree with you that it would be good to go back and watch them all. It's five centimeters. I couldn't stand that when I watched it. Same. But I I also feel like if I watched it now, I might like it more. Maybe we just need to go back and watch them all and see how we feel now. Yeah. Because I I first watched that one when I was like 20. And I, I feel like it would be more relatable once you're older. Yeah, perhaps. But I mean, you know what's so fantastic about his early works, including this one, is that they are basically, well, not just the music. These these were like one man show. Like he did, Makoto Shinkai was the director, the character designer, the script, the anime. He did all of it on his own computer. I don't think he did. He had another guy for music and stuff. But for the bulk of it, he was the sole person working on it. That's crazy. Wait, you didn't know that? No. That was like what was such a big deal was that he did this shit like on his own. Wait, so like just this one or the later ones too the the ones that are all similar time frame like voice of a distant star five centimeters place promised in our early days i believe so he did the animation on his own i mean i thought you have to double check me on this but i'm pretty sure like voice of a distant star for sure and maybe like the more that he did this the more like attention he got and maybe got help um but i do know that he definitely did a few of them like this Voices of a Distant Star, I can't believe. I don't know what version you watched, but there's actually two versions of this. What? There's the one <laughs> that is voiced by him and his then-girlfriend. They were the voices. Really? Of his own work. And then, once, you know, it got into bigger hands, they got professional voice actors to do it. So you can see two versions. That's crazy. I mean, there's also a dub, which I guess some people don't really like. I wonder which version I listened to. The one I listened That's what I to, the, the girl, she was, like, very quiet. Mm-hmm. I thought she was weird for a, a voice actress. I think when I originally watched it, it was the, it was Makoto Shinkai, and, like, the, the original voice actor, because it, like, had this quality of um, amateur, I don't know, like, it just didn't sound polished, but that was part of its charm, if that makes sense. Huh, Okay. I feel like I probably got the voice actor one, but who knows? That's crazy, though. He made it all himself. And now that I'm looking at some of the others, it looks like Play's Promise in Our Early Days. He still did the bulk of the work on it. Even the yeah. animation? Because that one looked really good. It has board names in here, so... And, like, he's, like, listed on multiple lines, but it does have some additional names here for the animation. So maybe by that point, because it's, like, two years later, 2004. Oh, wow, he made these all so close together. Yeah, I liked his early ones better. I don't his more recent ones, they're, they're too, uh, they're too, like, Disney-like, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> right, I was going to um, bring this up, too, was that I like them. You know, I like your name. I, I even liked uh, The Garden of Words, and less so Children Who Chase Lost Voices. I actually like, I like Children Who Chase Lost Voices. Yeah, yeah, I know. But it just, it, you're right. It has that feel of sort of too Disney to it. Yeah. 
I think it's like the polish and also the length, right? What I really liked about his early works is that they were shorter and they were very powerful. Like his his dialogue, uh, it was there for a reason, right? Like he chose his words carefully. I felt like every scene was like expertly crafted to matter. And then like these longer films, it just feels like there's a little bit more compression that could have been done to them, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think they also suffer from being too happy. Oh, yeah. That's right. It doesn't have like that melancholy, that like exactly. signature Shinkai melancholy. Yeah, his early ones, like like in, in all of them, there's this like sense of uh, separation and yes, loss. But in in his in the more recent ones, like the the, the couple there's some gets, separation. The couple, <laughs> yeah, the separation. There's a separation, but then it gets resolved. The older ones, there just remains a separation. There's that, like, cliffhanger, right? Yeah. Although, okay, let's talk about Voices of Edison Star specifically, because for most of it, right, it is, like, messages across time, these emails that are sent back and forth between the girl who's a pilot in the middle of space and the boy who remained on Earth. Mm-hmm. But the ending, like, there was a little bit of hope there, right? Like, slim, slim hope that he was going to come save her? Yeah. Seems unlikely, but you never know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> It's a really far-fetched hope, right? Yeah. I think she's just going to die alone in space. Yeah, but they're they're living each moment with hope. So I think that's important to his works, is like that despair, or not despair, that like sadness, but then like that that hope as small as it is. Yeah, for sure. Other than in like, in five centimeters, maybe that's why you don't like that one as, we don't like that one as much. They kind of like, oh, this is past. Like the lack of hope, you mean they, that they move on? Exactly. Yeah. But like you said, we watched that when we were younger. Maybe that would make sense to us now because I feel like being older, it's just accepted that things pass. It's okay. Exactly, yeah. I, I, I've been having similar thoughts every time I think about that film. I really should yeah. rewatch it. Let's go. Let's go rewatch it. Let's do it, yeah. Let's rewatch all the other ones while we're at it. Because why Okay. <laughs> I just want to mention, I I also love the music. The music? I don't remember. I wonder if there's a soundtrack. There is. I actually listen to it sometimes. Oh, man. I got to go listen to that now. Thanks for pointing that out. Yeah. I, I really don't remember it. All his movies are by uh, this, the soundtracks by the same guy. Tem- Tenmon? Tenmon. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Oddly enough, I'm not familiar with him, so I'll have to check out the rest of his works. I think it's mostly just the Kodashin Kai movies, but... <laughs> Well, I can go find out. Yeah. Tune in again to Kaiseki Anime Podcast two weeks from now. Please feel free to send us questions or comments on Twitter with hashtag Kaiseki Anime Podcast or on our individual accounts at Drago underscore Kuhn and at Anime DMB. Listen to review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify so we can continue to grow and improve. You can also find us on Google Play. Thanks for listening. See you next time.